What's up, Wizards fans and NBA nerds? My name is Bryce Haas, and you're listening to the Wizards Hoops Analyst Podcast on the Hoop Heads Podcast Network, a podcast giving you game-by-game breakdowns of everything Wizards. Hoopheads Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Wizards Hoops Analyst. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Knock If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Hashtag Lakers, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, Cavalier Central, At the Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Plus our coaching-focused podcasts, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. That game, that game was not very good um, for the Pistons' perspective. Um, great for the Wizards. Um, you know, they were winning by a ton of points. They got to rest some of the guys. Um, weren't necessarily trying the hardest down the stretch. Um, in terms of ESPN's win probability model, um, from like four minutes and 42 seconds from the fourth quarter on the Wizards had um, a 90-ish percentile and above to win the game. Um, you know, by the time it got to like six and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, the Wizards were at 98%, um, and that continued for the rest of the game. Um, so, you know, not particularly close at all, as you kind of would expect with, um, you know, how just the Pistons in general, how good they are. Um, and then they're also missing a couple guys um, who are in the rotation. But, you know, some of them like Killian Hayes is not necessarily um, better than a Corey Joseph or probably even a Frank Jackson. Um, so that probably helped them out. Um, but anyways, um, I do want to get into this game. Um, I want to talk about some big picture stuff. So I'm happy that this game wasn't very good at all. Um, so yeah, so the Wizards won um, 121 to 100. Um, the Wizards improved the record of 22 and 33, while the Pistons fall to 17 and 40. <laughs> Not good at all. Um, kind of what we expected coming into the season. I don't know what um, they expected because some of the moves they made were a little questionable. Um, but you know, a lot of them actually ended up working out. Um, so that's, you know, kind of good for them. Um, like Plumlee has been solid. Like Jeremy Grant has obviously been really, really good. Um, so looking at the Pistons in terms of point differential on the season, they're minus 4.3, um, which is 24th in the league. Um, offense rating is 108.7, which is 26th in the league. And defensive rating is 113, which is 16th in the league, which is, <laughs> that's higher than I thought it would be. Um, so just looking at the, um, overview and four factor stuff for this game, um, the Pistons, Offensive rating was at a 98, which is in the tw- good for the 12th percentile, which is really bad. Um, the Wizards' offensive rating was 117.5, um, 
which is these in the 65th percentile um, and also way higher than the Pistons. Their effective field percentage is 58 to the Pistons 50. Turnover rate was 13.6 to the Pistons 17.6. Offensive rebound rate 23.4 to the Pistons 20. And free throw rate was 12.8 and the Pistons had 20.5 um, in terms of free throw rate. Um, just to go over some of the you know box score um, lines for the individual players, um, the Wizards starters just absolutely blew the Pistons starters out of the water. Um, Bradley Beal was plus 25 on the night. Um, he looked ridiculous at 37 points, um, 13 to 22 from the field, 7 of 8 at the free throw line. So 37 points coming on 26 shooting possessions. Crazy efficient night. Um, great bounce back from last night where he um, just didn't really shoot the ball well from 3. I think it was 0 for 7, right? If I'm not mistaken. mistaken. Um, in this game, he was 4 for 6. Um, Russell Westbrook was... I guess solid. Um, he was making, he was playing pretty well as a playmaker tonight. Um, so I don't want to knock him too much. He wasn't really doing anything like particularly, you know, hurting the team out there, except for, you know, some of his, you know, typical pull up mid range shots that he shouldn't be taking. Um, but 15 points plus 14 in 30 minutes, um, seven for 17 from the field, uh, one and three from the line. So not very efficient, but did have 11 assists, 14 rebounds. Um, and that's pretty much it for the notable wizard starters, um, off the bench, Daniel Gafford, um, looked pretty solid, had eight points, um, four of seven, um, four blocks again which is pretty good um robin lopes had 15 points plus 16 on the night seven to ten from the field one of one at the free throw line so really really good efficiency um playing out of post which is rare which i will talk about in this episode um and ish smith um had 16 points two two from um the three six of eight from um the field overall and two two at the free throw line those numbers are not sustainable like the shots he's making tonight are not sustainable he isn't a good shooter um made a couple threes um made a bunch of pull-up mid-range shots like I like the spark that he's been bringing up the bench. I like his like the energy that he's bring bringing the past couple of games. Um, but I don't expect it to be sustainable. So I'm kind of curious as to how he looks once the shooting starts falling back down to his normal levels um, for him. But since coming back from injury, he has looked better than previous, um, you know, before his injury, um, which is super promising. Um, that's a good thing to have, you know, more options for Scott Brooks. Um, and that's pretty much it for notable guys. I do want to say shout out to Cassius Winston, who had four points, two for three in three minutes. Um, he was snaking pick and rolls. He was, you know, snatching around the baseline. Like, <laughs> always fun to see Cassius Winston play. Because he's like, he's really, really skilled. But he's just so unathletic and small. Um, and like, it's it's hard. It's hard for him to really, really be able to be an NBA player. I'll be really, really interested to see where he's at in like five years. Um, if we're being honest, probably like a really, really good player in like, Australia or <laughs> Europe or somewhere. Um, and I'm just thinking about like Cassius Winston being an awesome point guard, <laughs> like I don't know, like France or something. Like, that'd be cool. Um, but anyways, um, just looking over Pistons guys. Um, no one really stands out in particular in having a fantastic night. Like Josh Jackson, 17 points on 16 shooting possessions. It was minus 20. Uh, I'll, I'll go over some plus minus for the Pistons starters and the Wizards starters actually super quick. Um, so Beal was plus 25. Westbrook was plus 14. Alex Len only played seven minutes. was plus five. Denny Abdia plus 20. And um, Rui Hachimura plus 17. Um, Pistons starters, Jeremy Grant minus four in 30 minutes, um, which isn't that bad. He had 14 points, um, but obviously like he's one of the only guys I can defend. Um, but he wasn't really necessarily on Beal, um, which I thought was kind of weird. Um, Sadiq Bey, um, minus 18 in 24 minutes. Um, Plumlee was minus 10 in 16 minutes. Corey Joseph, minus 13 in um, 33 minutes. And I said Josh Jackson, minus 20 in 29 minutes. But like, usually, so I've been going over this the past few games, and usually it's kind of flipped where the Wizards start to struggle 
or the Wizards start, starters struggle, and then the um, the Wizards bench actually kind of brings them back up um, because they do, you know, have some solid bench options. Um, and they have like six guys um, that they can go to off the bench, whereas, you know, other teams that have been playing have been struggling with injuries and stuff like that. Um, so then their benches have been kind of weakened. Um, but this game, the Pistons bench is not good either. Um, Tyler Cook played 15 minutes. Tyler Cook was not on an NBA roster for most of the season. He was minus 12. Julio Okafor played seven minutes, like, I, like you know that your deep centers, your center rotation is not playing well at all when you, Julio Okafor gets into the game. Um, <laughs> minus two in seven minutes. Isaiah Stewart, actually, I thought, like, I really, really, really like Isaiah Stewart. Um, he was still minus nine, 24 minutes. Like, he has a ways to go um, in terms of kind of knowing what he's doing on defense. He's also just not the biggest guy, um, doesn't have the most mobility. Um, but there was a play where he switched on a Westbrook and actually looked pretty good. Um, so that kind of gives me encouragement for him being a maybe. Like, I think he has starter upside if he really, really shares up the shot, really shares up the decision-making from the high post, um, gets a little bit more of a face-up game, and then, like, continues to work on, like, his mobility on the perimeter. I think he can actually, like, be, you know, a you know middle-of-the-road starter, which is decently valuable. Um, Frank Jackson had 10 points, or was minus 10. He had 19 points, actually. Um, he was 8 for 13 from the field, 3 or 6 at the line, or from 3. Um, Frank Jackson can shoot the ball, and he's pretty athletic, um, but... Yeah, I don't think that he can really, like, he's a point guard who can't really pass, and those guys are kind of hard to fit around. Um, and he's, like, not big enough to really be a shooting guard. Like, he can't really guard twos. Like, whenever he was on, like, Bradley Beal, that was an absolute disaster. Um, so I don't really know what to think about Frank Jackson at all at this point in his career. Um, but, yeah, Saban Lee, um, 15 minutes minus eight. Like, he was drafted in the 30s. I think most people on their own personal boards had him much lower than that. Um, but, yeah, I think he's actually interesting, but he's another guy, like, point guard. Is he a great passer? Like uh, he's a pretty good athlete. Um, it, I don't know about his shooting at all. Um, and then like defense is kind of a question because of his size. Um, I think Saban Lee is kind of interesting as like a second round flyer to take on someone who's just like that quick. Um, and then Wayne Ellington only played 17 minutes in this game. He was plus three. Um, Might have been the only guy. And yeah, he was the only positive guy. I think Wayne Ellington is really good. I don't know why they. I mean, I guess they're trying to like. Are you really trying to like? Would you rather have Wayne Ellington play more and have you be more competitive in the game? Um, or would you rather reallocate those minutes to Saban Lee, see what you have in Frank Jackson, um, see what you have in Tyler Cook, you know, those kinds of things, you know, gives feeds to DBA more minutes, um, you know, kind of <laughs> give Davidus Davidus three minutes. Davidus Davidus had played three minutes. He scored. He had a cut. Um, I don't remember who. It was a miscommunication, I think, with Garrison Matthews and Isak Banga, I want to say, or maybe Anthony Gill. One of the, someone, some, there's some sort of miscommunication on the cut. Um, I think the Wizards were supposed to switch and they didn't. Um, and Davidus Servitas <laughs> got a wide open layup and he scored. He also shot a three that was way off. Um, I, don't know. <laughs> I think Servitas has played all games against the Wizards in one way or another. Um, and he's like one of the worst players in the league. So I kind of have a fun time talking about him. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll talk. Because I said I want to talk big picture stuff. How many minutes into this are we? Eight minutes. Okay, so um, I'll just super t- quickly talk about um, Bradley Beal in this game because he's like the biggest positive. Um, I'll talk. I'll touch briefly on Daniel Gafford. Um, so Bradley Beal um, had 37 points. He was just doing anything he wanted out there. Like, um, so the Pistons like they were guarding him a lot with Corey Joseph, who actually I think is a pretty solid defender. Um, they're also like throwing Josh Jackson at him. Um, <laughs> not ideal. Um, and then uh, they're throwing Frank Jackson and Saban Lee at him. Also not ideal. I think Wayne Ellington also, like, I think he did a solid job on Bradley Beal, but he just didn't play that much. Um, but it's tough because, um, you know, they're trying to top lock, and then Bradley Beal is just so good at cutting. It's really tough. Um, and then, like, Mason Plumlee is not the best, um, you know, defender. Um, just kind of being a rim protector and being in position all the time. Like, I don't know if he exactly knows, like, 
like he makes so many mistakes um, that Beal was able to cut through. Um, you know, and then you you have to you have to chase Beal over screens, so it's really tough. Um, you know, for the guards to do that. I think Corey Joseph's probably the best guy doing that for them. Um, but then Bradley Beal, he's just going right downhill at Mason Plumley or Isaiah Stewart or Julio Okafor and just being able to get to the rim wherever he wants. Like, that was an absolute matchup nightmare for the Detroit Pistons for how their centers, um, like, they're not particularly bad at defense, but they're not very good at defense. Um, and also when Bradley Beal, you know, when he is hitting shots, um, it's just <laughs> really, really hard for the um, Pistons to stop because it's kind of like what do you do against Bradley Beal? Um, just looking over shot chart, he got to the um, restricted area five times and he was four for five there. Um, he got to the paint overall thirteen times and it was eight for thirteen inside the paint, four six from three. Like basically, if you're gonna let Bradley Beal get into the paint that often, you're not gonna be able to stop him. Um, part of that is the point of attack defense wasn't great. Um, part of that was, <laughs> I mean, a lot of that was just because the ball screen defense. The help has to come earlier. Um, you know, and that's on the shoulders of guys like Josh Jackson, um, even like Tyler Cook, Julio Gafford. At times, the Pistons were playing zone. Um, Beal just absolutely sliced up the zone every time they're playing it. Um, a lot of times, the Wizards just had a simple, pretty simple inside ball screen, um, and Beal was able to pretty easily get into the you know middle of the paint. Um, the Pistons are just not very good defensively. Um, part of that is because like at times you're playing like Tyler Cook and Isaiah Stewart together, or Tyler Cook and like Mason Plumlee. Like that's not a very good lineup. Um, but yeah, like honestly, I probably would have thrown Jeremy Grant on Beal and tried. Um, I guess like Corey Joseph's a good, like Corey Joseph's good. I just don't think Corey Joseph really has a relative size to guard Beal. Also like Beal is just such a, like he's just so good. Like it's, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. Like if he's really, really going, um, it definitely is tough, but I would have thrown more stuff at him. I would have thrown like blitzes on the pick and roll instead of just coming to level and hoping my <laughs> Mason Plumley makes a play um, because Beal is just turning him around every which way. Um, just getting in the paint so easily when they're coming to level the screen. Um, we're like, um, maybe try to pre-switch that action and get Plumlee away from it uh, as much as possible. Like, I like the adjustment of going zone from the Pistons, but like that just didn't work at all. Um, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, so I guess I do want to touch briefly on Daniel Gafford. I love his energy off the bench, obviously. Um, he can run. Um, and so when I saw him play on the Bulls, um, it was kind of 50-50 between the stupid stuff and the really flashes of greatness. Um, on the Wizards, it's been, you know, much, much less of the stupid stuff. Um, and we're only looking at, like, what, a six or seven game sample here. Um, so you have to, like, you know, kind of pump the brakes, put it on pause. Like, the announcers are acting like Gafford's, like, the best thing since sliced bread to <laughs> ever come um, anywhere. Um, so, you know, like, take a deep breath, pump the brakes. Like, we saw what he was in Chicago. Um, this is probably the best stretch of basketball in his career. Um, so, you know, um, but I didn't, you know, I was, um, I don't remember what I was doing, but I saw, um, like a preseason mock draft from like Sam Vecini, like um, two years ago, whatever. Um, and Daniel Gafford was like thought of as like a top potential top 10 guy at that point, just cause the gifts are so good. So if you can kind of harness those gifts, get rid of the really, really stupid stuff that he tends to do sometimes. Um, and then just say, run to the rim, block shots. Um, he's actually really, really good at getting vertical, which a lot of young guys with like those kind of tools aren't, um, he's still like very much foul prone, um, but I I am encouraged by the vert- verticality. He's also a little like too eager to help, um, which kind of leaves the drop down passes open when they shouldn't be because just kind of like the helping the helper stuff. Um, the Wizards are not that good at um, that, that stuff is hard in general, anyways. Um, but you know when you're working with a team like the Wizards, um, not great. Um, so you know he he still has like these young young player tendencies of like over helping under helping, um, you know doing some stupid stuff, making some stupid plays, taking some stupid shots. Um, but I I really like where it's going. I think that so. Actually, I'll start my talk on the big picture stuff right now because um, I definitely want to talk a little bit about it. Um, so looking at the um, Wizards salary cap table for next season, 
um, when I pull it up super quick. I think it's on, I think I can do it on cleaning the glass because um, I want to get the exact numbers here. Um, salaries, it's loading, it's loading. Okay, so for next season, um, Thomas Bryant's going to be back. He tore his ACL early in the season, um, nine to 12 months. I think he should be back by the beginning of next season. He's at $8.7 million. Um, and then for... Let's see, Daniel Gafford, next season, he's on the books for $1.8 million. So if that's your whole entire center rotation, two athletic bigs that can be rim runners, um, and hopefully Thomas Bryant gets better at defense, we'll kind of see. Um, maybe he's been, you know, watching tons of film on the sideline, he'll come back ready to go. Uh, questionable, um, but we'll see. Um, and same thing with Daniel Gafford. Um, but Daniel Gafford is $1.8 million non-guaranteed. I'm, you know, sure the Wiz will guarantee that. Um, and then he has 1.9 million team option next year. So if you can get your whole entire center rotation down for $9.5 million out of the entire um, projected $112 million salary cap, um, plus like whatever the luxury tax is, which is like what, 135? Um, so that's a really, really good number. Then you can kind of start building a team um, like Robin Lopez. Um, I assume he's not going to be back. He has a cap hold for 8.8 .8 million. I, I highly doubt that he's going to be back. I'm sure the Wizards will announce that. Um, Ish Smith has a cap hold for 7.8 million. I'm sure the Wizards are going to announce that. Jerome Robinson is already gone. Um, so that's not applicable for his $5.3 million cap hold. Um, Isak Bonga, we'll kind of see. He's restricted next year. Um, and then Neto um, and Alex Len. Um, I'd, like, you can bring someone like Alex Len back on like a minimum contract. Um, as a third center, that's an awesome option. Um, I don't know how much money Robin Lopez is going to make next season, but if you can bring him back on a veteran's minimum, um, that's an awesome third center. Like, So you, you're kind of really filling out your center rotation. Then you can really focus on the things that the Wizards really need, which are wings and guards. Um, and then you're going to get someone in the draft. Um, so, you know, the Wizards are kind of building an interesting thing here. Um, you still kind of need that top tier talent to really, really compete. Um, but, you know, we'll kind of see. Um, I like the Wizards' um, center rotation going forward with Gafford coming off the bench. is just like the same exact role he's playing now. Run to the rim, play drop coverage. Um, you know, if we really need you to, um, you're athletic enough to do a little bit more out on the perimeter. Um, you know, make good decisions. Don't do anything stupid, that kind of stuff. Um, so I like him in that role. The thing that I do want, the bigger, bigger picture thing I want to talk about is the Chicago Bulls and um, Zach Levine. Um, so it was announced a few days ago that Zach Levine tested positive for COVID. Um, that's going to keep him out at least 10 to 14 days. I assume closer to that two-week mark because even when you're done testing positive, you have to test negative for a few straight days before you can come back. And then obviously you have to work your way back for like probably a day or two. Um, so you, let's say he's out for two weeks. That was announced like, what, three days ago? Um, so that's he's going to miss a bunch of games. Um, and if you look at the stands right now, so... And to get in the play-in, obviously, you need to get within the top 10 seeds. Right now, the Wizards and the Bulls have identical records. But the Wizards have won four straight games. I think they've won five of their last six. And the Bulls are struggling. And they're without Zach Levine. Um, I want to very quickly pull up um, the Chicago Bulls um, net rating stuff without Zach Levine. Um, obviously, some of that stuff is going to be a little bit skewed because it's the Bulls bench units playing against... Um, Actually, I think it's going to actually look pretty positive. Um, I'll say that super quick because it's going to be the Bulls bench units, which are actually pretty strong because of guys like Thaddeus Young um, playing against um, other teams' bench units, which probably aren't as strong as the Bulls ones. Um, also, like Sadoransky, like um, what's his face, Garrett Temple coming off the bench. Like, I actually think that these numbers aren't going to look very bad at all. Um, so I'm looking at numbers with Zach Levine off the floor. Um, the point differential is minus 2.6. Um, not that bad. Um, offense is... Offense is a big problem, though. So their offense rating is 107.4, um, which is not good at all. So 107.4 offense rating, that's exactly Levine off the floor. Obviously, I will put the caveat of, you know, it's the bench units um, for the most part um, with Zach Levine off the floor. But an offense rating of 107.4 would put the Bulls um, 20... 
um, sixth, 27th, 28th in the league. Um, so that's not good at all. Um, and then like you do have Vucevic though. So, you know, we'll kind of see um, how that goes. I actually, I'll look at um, full stats with Zach Levine off the floor and Nikola Vucevic on the floor. Um, this is going to be a small sample though. Um, so over the sample of 279 possessions, their offensive actually at offensive rating 118.3. Um, but very, very small sample. But anyways, um, so if Zach Levine is going to miss 14 weeks, that's going to be, let's see, from... Let's say that from two days ago, um, or two games ago, so 14 weeks from, or let's say starting from the 14th, I don't remember exactly which day, uh, so that would be to the 28th, so that means he missed one, two, three, four, five, six games, um, which is big. That's a lot of games, and here are the team, so they're playing the Celtics, the Cavaliers, the Hornets, um, the Heat, the Heat, and the Knicks, so, you know, five of those games are against teams that are in the playoff field right now, and then one of them is against the Cavaliers. If they lose like four of six, and then if you look at the Wizards' upcoming schedule, <laughs> it is weak. Um, the Wizards' upcoming schedule is very, very weak. Um, so look at the Wizards' next six games, um, or let's just say until the 28th, so that is six games. Um, and play the Thunder, Warriors, Thunder, Cavaliers, Spurs, and Lakers. So the Wizards are going to be favored to win three of those games. They're going to be favored to win both Thunder games, both Cavaliers games. If they can pick up a win, they can win four out of six. If not, um, and they just win their expected number of games, that's Three out of six. So if the Wizards win three of us, three out of six games, and the Bulls, you know, only win one out of six, two out of six games. All of a sudden, the Wizards are in the playing picture, um, which is where they want to be right now, um, which is interesting. Um, that definitely makes like this Levine in Levine getting COVID makes things very, very, very interesting, um, because the Wizards and the Bulls are tied right now. Um, but here is another little caveat: um, the Wizards are ahead of the Raptors in the standings by half a game. Um, does anyone really, really think that the Wizards are? better than the Raptors um I don't think so like I don't think the Wizards are remotely better than the Raptors um the only thing that the Wizards have going for them against the Raptors is the Raptors have been very very injured this year Larry's missed a bunch of time recently like Van Vliet has missed time recently even like Gary Trent's missed time recently like OG Anobi I think don't think it's missed time recently but like if these guys are going to miss time um then all of a sudden you know the door is wide open for the Wizards um to kind of sneak into that 10 seed um, but something else that was interesting, um, I think Kevin Pelton wrote about it, uh, kind of brought it to the forefront of my mind. Um, something I've been thinking about, but nah, I'm finally remembering it because of him. Um, so if you make the play-in as the 10 seed, at that point, you still only have a 20% chance of making the playoffs because you need to win two games on the road. So your chances of winning on the road are a little bit less than 50%. Um, so if you assume that um, it's less than 50%, um, and that's this is also assuming that um, the teams are exactly like just as good as each other. Um, so 50% or 20% um, is your chance of getting in the playoffs if you get to the 10th seed of the plane, which is not good. Um, but also if you get to the 10th season plan as it is right now, so you, your path would probably be you have to beat the Pacers at Indiana and then you have to beat the Hornets at Charlotte. That's not easy. Um, that's not easy at all. Um, so even if the Wizards somehow like squeeze in the plan, like it's, what do you really gain out of that is my question. Um, just two road games um, and potentially like you're probably going to lose them, <laughs> 80% chance. And then like you have to factor in the Pacers are clearly better than the Wizards and the Hornets are, hmm. I don't know. I don't know what I want to say about the Hornets. The Hornets are maybe better than the Wizards, um, but it's really, really tough. I also want to pull up super quick. Um, I know Tankathon, um, Tankathon NBA, um, they have, I'm pretty sure they have um, a remaining strength of schedule. Yeah. Okay. So here it is. So the strength of schedule for the Wizards, the Wizards have the 26th hardest schedule left. Um, 27th is the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, 28th is the Clippers, 29th 
um, is the Jazz, and 30th is the Bulls, or not the Bulls, the Mavericks. Um, so if you look at the teams that the Wizards are competing with for the playing game, um, it's really two. It's really the um, Chicago Bulls and the Toronto Raptors. The Chicago Bulls have the sixth most difficult record um, out of any team in the league um, for the remaining 16 games. Um, and the Toronto Raptors have the... I cannot find them. Where are the Raptors? Oh, they, they have the third hardest schedule. So their strength of schedule, um, the winning percentage of the teams that have to play last is 55.4. Um, the Bulls is 53.1. And the Wizards is 46.7. That's a massive, massive difference. Um, if you look at the toughest opponents and the easiest opponents, so the toughest opponents for the Wizards um, that they have remaining are the Bucks, the Lakers, the Mavericks, the Hawks twice, which is winnable, and the Golden State Warriors, which is also very, very winnable. Their easiest opponents, they play the Cavaliers three more times, and they play the Rap- or the Thunder twice. Um, and they out of 16 games left, five of those are against either the Cavaliers or the Thunder. That's big. Like, that is, like, those teams are not good, especially when you start playing, like, April basketball. Um, they're going to be playing, like, the Thunder are starting Teo Maladon and Alexei Pokushevsky. Um that's very, very big. Uh, that is a very, very, very big thing to point out. I want to look at who the Thunder started in their last game. I'm trying to pull it up. Western Conference, Thunder. Thunder actually 20 and 36. Like, that's not that bad. So the last game, the Thunder played against the Detroit Pistons. Um, the Piston, or the Thunder starting lineup, I'm going to assume is a stop. Yeah. So the Thunder starting lineup was Teo Maladon, Lugan Stewart, Moses Brown, Isaiah Roby, and Darius Baisley. Coming off the bench, I had Kendrick, Kendrick Williams, um, Tony Bradley, Savaitslav, Makai Luke, um, I think Makai Luke and Ty, Jer- Ty Jerome and Jalen Horde. Um, that's not a winning basketball team. <laughs> so if the Wizards play that team two times in the next like three games, um, things get very, 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 very interesting. Um, yeah, so I guess the next thing that I want to talk about is 23 minutes. I talked about that for a while. Um, Rui Hachimura left this game with a knee injury. Um, that's a little bit concerning. Um, but I, so who's going to slide into that spot? Like Garrison Matthews, I guess. Um, that's what I would like to see personally. I think Garrison Matthews fits so well with Westbrook and Beal. Um, you slide Danny down to the four, which I think is going to be his position in the future. Um, I think that makes a ton of sense. We'll kind of see how Scott Brooks, does, um, what he does. That'll be pretty interesting actually. If, um, we were watching more misses an extended period of time. Um, the next guy I do want to talk about for a little bit is Denny Avdia. Um, and just him starting. I don't understand it because Denny Avdia in this game had a couple flashes on the ball, which were really, really, really good. Um, you know, he had at one point, um, he read the baseline drift. Um, he got a steal out of it. He dribbled down the floor. He kind of threw like a no look flick pass to um, Rui Ajimura in transition. Like, if you watch some of his Israeli film from Maccabi Tel Aviv, um, the stuff that made him an intriguing prospect, that made him a fringe top five guy for most people, was the on-ball stuff, the passing, the creativity. Um, that's what made him a prospect, not the off-ball shooting. Like, he can't shoot. We knew that coming in, that he wasn't going to be able to shoot right away. Um, what we thought would be more there would be the playmaking, which has been there in flashes. But as a secondary playmaker right now, as more of like a connector, um, it hasn't looked as good, um, but there are flashes of really, really nice on-ball playmaking. Um, you know, he can still, like, attack a closeout, you know, move the ball around, all that kind of stuff. But And he's also a pretty good cutter, um, which does kind of help him play with Russell Westbrook. Um, but I would like to see him pl- using that second unit. Um, give him the ball a little bit more. Take it a little more out of Ishmith's hand. You know, that's always something I'm kind of calling for. Um, you let him, you know, play with the ball in his hands. Let him run some pick and roll, um, especially with Daniel Gafford. Um, using... Um, Denny Avdia like in a 4-5 pick and roll uh, like 45 like that would be awesome 
Um, play him at the four, coming off the bench, four or five pick and roll. Please, 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 Wizards. Like, the, like imagine lineup like Denny Avi off the bench with Daniel Gafford, um, you know, Ish Smith, Howell Neto, Garrison Matthews type of thing. Um, I think that's super interesting. Um, and it'll be good for Denny Avi's long-term development with him getting some on-ball reps. I don't really, I don't understand the thought of him, the theory of him inside that starting lineup. It, like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, put Garrison Matthews in there. That's where he belongs. It makes sense for both of those players. It plays to the strengths of both of those players. Okay, that's that's my little um, Denny Avi rant. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is... What was the other thing? There's one other thing I want to talk about. I don't remember what it was. Oh, I wanted to talk about... <laughs> I wanted to talk about um, Robin Lopez post-ups and then I'll go through my notes and that'll be that. Or no, maybe I won't. I don't know. So Robin Lopez um, has been absolutely ridiculous in the post this season. In terms of points per possession out of the post, this is per NBA.com. Um, if you go to all stats, you can go to um, play type um, for stats and then you can like filter through play type. It's a really, really cool tool um, that you can do for free on NBA.com. Um, so Robin Lopez is at 1.26 points per possession in the post on 112 post-ups a season. That is insane. That is absolutely insane. 1.26 points per possession in the post is crazy. I will say that that is mostly against backup centers. Um, so you do have to put a asterisk on that. Um, but the next best center is at 1.08 points per possession, which is Ennis Cantor. Joel Embiid is also at 1.08 points per possession. Um... Nikola Vucevic, 1.07. Um, then you get kind of down to like Anthony Davis, 1.04. Nikola Jokic, 1.01. Porzingis um, is at 1.0. Zion Williamson, 0.99. Um, Jonas Vanchulis, uh, like these guys are like 2 or 0. 0.2, 0.25 points per possession lower than Robin Lopez. That is, that's a massive, massive, that's a giant gap in efficiency um, for those who don't know. Um, <laughs> and the second best guy out of, this is, um, for guys who have posted up more than 50 times, the next best guy is Luka Doncic has posted up 93 times and is at 1.15. So he's 0.11 points per possession ahead of Luka Doncic. That is absolutely insane. <laughs> that is insane. I saw those numbers today because I was just, you know, exploring through the pages. Um, That's that's absolutely, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, I knew I, I had to say that on here. He had a great game in the post tonight. Um, Obviously posting up guys like Isaiah Stewart, Um, you know, who like... There's a skill to being a post defender in the NBA. Like someone like Marcus Saul is just so good at defending in the post, not because he's like, you know, the biggest or the strongest or the tallest guy, um, but because he, he really, really, really knows how to play in that post. Um, like he knows kind of, sort of come, cut some of the tricks of the trade with like where you can put your arms, where you can put your body, that kind of stuff. Um, Isaiah Stewart, obviously, he's been in the league for one year. He played in the Pac 12 last year with like, you know, what kind of great post presence was he playing slash practicing against? Um, so, you know, <laughs> he's a rookie. It's tough. He's like 19 years old. Um, but yeah, that's all I got for this episode. The Wizards next game is on Monday against the Oklahoma City Thunder. So definitely check that out. I have a podcast coming out that night or the next day. Thank you for listening to the Wizards Hoops Analyst Podcast on the Hoop Heads Podcast Network. Please don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hoops Wizards Pod. I'll see you next time.